Good morning. If you will, please turn to Matthew 15, verse 18. Matthew 15, verse 18. We'll get to that in a moment. I'd like to welcome everyone here today, especially our visitors. For those of you who came to see Brother Lee preach today, you'll be able to in our third hour, so rest assured. The Bible says quite a bit about our speech. Our speech, excuse me, I'm fighting a cold. Our speech tells us, or says quite a bit about us. We look over at Matthew 15 and verse 18. Christ said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. The words that we choose to use are a reflection of our hearts. If we allow certain words and phrases to be used by ourselves that show a lack of contentment or a lack of gratitude, it's a reflection of our heart that our heart is not content and that our heart is not grateful. If we can refrain from using those words and phrases, we can choke those phrases out and purge them from our heart. To do this, we need to watch our language. This will go over at Ephesians 4.29 for what Paul said. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Paul wrote, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We are to refrain from using corrupt words. This could be profanity. could be euphemisms. Could be using the Lord's name in vain. In contrast, Paul tells us to speak in words that edify. And he says at the end that impart grace to the hearers. Grace being kind, affectionate, a pleasing nature. Those are the words that we are to use, not those corrupt words. But again, to do so, we must watch our language. Paul also wrote in Colossians 4 and verse 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6, he said, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Again, Paul speaks about grace in our speech. This time he talks about seasoning our speech with salt. Now, I don't know how many of you have made homemade bread. I've been making some bread recently. One of those times, I forgot to put the salt into the dough. It was edible, but it wasn't very good. You can ask my family. They'll they'll agree. But that next time, I did not forget to use the salt. And it's only one teaspoon, two loaves of bread, makes all the world of difference. Season our words with salt, just like we season our food. But again, to do so, we must watch our language. Titus 2. Titus 2, verses 6 through 8. Again, Paul here speaking to to the young men, but also speaking to Titus and speaking to us. Starting in verse 6, he says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. We are to be a pattern 
of good works. That includes our speech. It's a pattern. The difference between a pattern and an occasional thing is a pattern is something we do time and time and time again. If you're going to do something just one time, you don't need to create a pattern for it. But if you want to be able to replicate something over and over, you have a pattern. And our speech needs to be a pattern. All of our good works need to be a pattern, but our speech. And when we use that sound speech, it says that an opponent may be ashamed. Basically, if they try to contradict us, they start trying to spread a rumor that, oh, he used profane language. If we are a pattern of good works, a pattern of good language, sound language, nobody's going to believe that person. Now, I hope no one this morning who's in attendance struggles with the use of profanity or using the Lord's name in vain. If you do, my hope is that you'll repent and stop using those words. The lesson this morning is not about those words. The lesson is, this morning is about words and phrases that in and of themselves have a good and proper place. But if we misuse them, if we misapply them, they can show that there's something wrong with our hearts. Again, if we use words in the right context... It's a demonstration of a pure heart. If we use words in an incorrect context, it can show a heart that needs some help. The words in particular have to do with how we appear content and how we appear grateful to the outside world. Let's look over at Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5, after, after everything the writer has, has said to these Christians who have been struggling, have been looking to go back to Judaism, the, the writer has explained over and over in many ways how, how far superior Christ is. Towards the end of the letter, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Our conduct is to be without covetousness. That doesn't mean we just get to dial the knots down. We get to limit how much covetousness we have. No, we're to have no covetousness whatsoever. To do that, as he continues, we must be content with those things that we have. If we are content with what we have, we won't be covetous. We won't be looking at what other people have and wishing we had that, and then trying to find every way possible to obtain those things. The the lack of contentment will be evident if we're covetous over other people's items. So go over to Philippians, the fourth chapter. Philippians 4. Verses 11 through 13. Paul writing here says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens me. Paul tells us here that contentment is something we, we learn. To learn it, we have to want to do it. Then we can learn it. And Paul here shows that he has learned it. 
no matter what state of affairs he's in, he's content. Why? Because he knows his life is temporal. The songs that Hugh led this morning about heaven, that's where Paul was focused on. He knew what was important. No matter what he went through in this life, and he went through a lot, no matter how difficult it was at times, it was okay. He knew he had that home in heaven waiting for him, and that's all that mattered to him. Most of us have many, many riches. No need to show hands. But how many people this morning actually had to make a decision on which vehicle to drive this morning? How many of us had to decide which outfit am I going to wear? Which tie? How many decided, what am I going to eat? We are richly blessed. Now, sometimes people get caught up in Even though they have much, they act like they have little. I know we've seen it in TV shows and movies. A person will look at a closet full of clothes. Be like, I don't have anything to wear. Or they'll go to the refrigerator, open it up, and you can see food on every shelf. Food in every drawer. Open the pantry door, there's food top to bottom. There's nothing to eat. Really? There's, there's no contentment in that. That is just a sign that they're not content. Think about the Israelites. Remember the Israelites. Remember their state of affairs when they were in Egypt, in bondage, having to work so hard for so little. Over time, their burden being increased and increased. So the Lord provides them the method for them to escape that bondage and to move to the promised land. And how did they act on that trip? Oh, we're thirsty. We're hungry. This is too hard. This food is boring. Uh, can't we just go back to Egypt where the food is so much better? No contentment. No gratitude to the Lord for what he, he had done for them. We're going to look at two different words that many people use that do show a lack of contentment and a lack of gratitude. The first one being the word deserve. We've all heard it. I deserve a new car. I deserve a new house. I deserve a vacation. I deserve a dream vacation. For those in school, I deserve an A. The word deserve is defined as to merit, be qualified for, or have claim because of actions or qualities. Or in other words, it's something that we've earned because of what we've done. That's what it means to deserve. There are many examples in the Bible of individuals who thought they deserved certain things. and They were wrong. But this morning, I want to look at one individual in particular who had it all, wanted more, but came to truly understand what he deserved. You'll turn with me to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Many of you probably already know this is going to be about David. Back in the 11th chapter, David sent his, his armed forces out to battle. He did not go with them. We do not know why. But he stayed back in Jerusalem. And while he's back in Jerusalem, he was out one night, and he saw this, this woman bathing. He found her attractive. And one thing led to another. 
and he caused Bathsheba to become pregnant. Now Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite, who was off in battle, fighting on behalf of David. So David knew he had done wrong. He understood that, but he tried to cover it up. So he arranged to have Uriah come back from the battlefield in order so he could sleep with his wife so that everyone would think he was the father. Now, Uriah was an honorable man, and while his troops were out in the field sleeping in dirt, he refused to sleep under a roof, and he slept in the dirt also. So then David hatched another plan. David said, okay, I'm going to make sure that he dies in battle. So he sends a message with Uriah to Joab to have Joab put him put Uriah and his men in the hottest area and then pull back support, effectively killing Uriah, murdering him. Now, obviously, the Lord was not happy with these actions. So here at the beginning of 2 Samuel 12, he sends Nathan to talk to David. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Quite a story. I know the first time I read that, I was, I was, I was, I was feeling pretty upset about that rich man. Well, let's look at David's reaction in verses 5 and 6. It says, So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb. Because he did this thing and he had no pity. David was absolutely right. That rich man, for those actions, deserved to pay fourfold recompense, but he also deserved to die. He was absolutely right in that. And we look at verse 7. Nathan turns to David and says, you are that man. Now, we, can, we could read the rest of chapter 12. David understands David, at that point, no longer shied away. He no longer tried to cover up his sins. He understood that he was that man. He deserved to die. Absolutely. Now, before we pick on David too much, we're not much better off ourselves. We're not any better off ourselves. Let's look over at Romans. We're going to look at both Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23... Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of us have sinned. We understand that. Chapter 3, verse 23, says it very... Bluntly, we all have sinned and fallen short. Chapter 6, 23 says the wages, so what we've earned, what we deserve for our sin, 
is death. But fortunately, it also tells us in that latter part, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We should be grateful every day for that gift that God has provided us. That gift should make us so thankful. Every day we should be more and more thankful for what the Lord has done for us. If our words that we use don't express thankfulness, then what is in our heart that is preventing us from showing the, the gratefulness and being content? The other word we want to look at is need. Again, I need a new car. I need a new outfit. I need a new pair of shoes to go with that new outfit. I need a new house. I need a new boat. You know, perhaps I need a new attitude. If that's the way I'm thinking every day, all day, that I need this and I need this and I need this, and it has nothing to do with eternal life, I need a new attitude. Understand, Matthew 6 very clearly shows us that our physical needs will be met. As long as we seek God and his righteousness, he's going to provide for us our physical needs. Our physical needs truly being food, water, and clothing. That will be provided to us. But if all we want is more, 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 it's not going to work out. Let's go back to David. We're going to look this time at the 51st Psalm. The 51st Psalm. So after Nathan had told David this story and then told him that he was the man who had done this and he was the one that was guilty, we saw that David knew exactly what he deserved. He fessed up at that point. He asked for, he asked for forgiveness right then and there. But then he, he penned this psalm expressing his feelings. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then verses 7 through 10. Starting in verse 1, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then down in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David knew what he deserved and he knew what he needed. Right away, first thing he says in this psalm is, have mercy on me, O God. He understood there was nothing he could do to make up for that, those sins. Only God could forgive him. Only God could show mercy on him and forgive him. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly. Purge me with hyssop. Wash me. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart. David understood that it was 
his heart was not pure. He needed his heart to be cleansed in order to be right in the eyes of God. And only God could clean his heart. And the final phrase of, of verse 10, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Think about when we first met David. He was the youngest child, right? He was a shepherd. He goes to take supplies to his brothers who were in battle. His brothers and the rest of the Israelites, they were scared. They were scared of these giants across the way. This one giant in particular, Goliath, he was taunting them. And the Israelites were too scared to do anything about it. David, youthful David, he had the steadfast spirit at that time. He said, we've got God on our side. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how big they are. God's on our side. We can defeat him. And he ended up taking that slingshot and killing Goliath, right? We all know that story. He had that steadfast spirit. But clearly he had lost it along the way. He had lost it when he wasn't content with those things that he had. He wasn't grateful for all the opportunities that he had. And he allowed himself to sin in the way he did. So he's asking the Lord to renew that steadfast spirit. Likewise, we also, let's look at Titus 3. Titus, the third chapter. Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to overcome sin. We need the mercy that only the Lord can provide. We seek that, and he grants that to us. We should be content with what we have. We should be grateful for all the blessings that we have. Finally, let's look over at Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew 5, verse 16, this is toward the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, coming right after the Beatitudes. Verse 16, well-known passage. Christ said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our words should set us apart. If we're using words and phrases just like the world does, words and phrases that show a lack of contentment, a lack of gratitude for all the many blessings that we have, we're not setting ourselves apart from the world. We're not going to be shining our light in this world. If the words that we use demonstrate a lack of contentment, ask yourself, are we shining our lights in a way in this world that will glorify our Lord? If the words we use do not demonstrate gratitude, Are we shining our lights in this world in a way that glorifies God? The words that we choose are a reflection of our hearts. Let's watch our language. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Lord, we are so grateful for 
the many blessings that you have given us on a daily basis. We are so thankful for, most importantly, the gift of your son Christ, who you sent to this earth to die for our sins, that although we are sinners, we we have that hope of eternal life with you in heaven. We pray that we will each be conscious of the, the words and the phrases that we use, that we will do all that we can to ensure that they do set us apart in this world, shine our light so we can glorify you in all ways and, and show, show to the world the importance and the magnitude that you are. We pray that you'll be with us always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll have classes starting in 10 minutes at 950. Uh, there's an adult class out here. The children's classes are all in the back. If you need any uh, help, if you're visiting, uh, just ask any of the men in the back and they can help direct you. Thank you.